me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to continue on in our, uh, where we're heading with this whole big picture of the story. Uh, so in Genesis chapter 12, we're going, to, we're going to pick up on this part of this story. And uh, before we do that, I want to talk to you about another story that, that was written uh, many, 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 many moons ago. Almost the beginning of this story. And that is uh, a story of uh, where Mr. and Mrs. Smith had a child by the name of Keith. Is Keith in here today? He knew. He knew, didn't he? My filter did not catch me in the first service, and so he, he took out. Uh, if you see Pastor Keith today, wish him a happy birthday. He's 38 years old, and, uh, and uh, so wish him a happy birthday, if you would. And we won't comment about how old his story is, okay? But uh, I, there was some cake back there. I don't know if the first service nailed it all or not, but there was some cake back there. But if you have an opportunity to stop and visit, please do that. We're uh, in this, uh, in this uh, I don't want to say series, because man, we're, we're in this for the long haul. And so uh, what we're trying to do is, and, I'll, and maybe this is a better way of explaining, I want to make sure we're all on the same page. What I'm trying to do is really just kind of paint the, in broad strokes the story, okay? And I think sometimes if you're like, I don't know if you're like me or not, hopefully you're not probably, huh? You're probably like, thank God I'm not. But anyhow, if you, if you can kind of, if you resonate somewhat with the way I think, once I have the big picture uh, once I start getting more details, I'm able to plug it into that picture, and, and that big picture makes a little bit more sense. And so what we're attempting to do is to paint this big, huge, broad picture, which is more like a, a biblical survey. We're not going to go extremely deep with each and every story, but we're going to take a look at the main headlines. And so, um, if, like I said, if you, if you grab a hold of one of those books called The Story, it's a resource, it's not replacing the Bible, but I think it will be a, a great tool for you to, to uh, use to help give a little bit more meaning and clarity to this, this, uh, uh, some of the reading and drive you back more into the Word of God. So we're in this, call, this uh, thing called The Story, Finding Our Place in God's Story Together. And so, uh, last week, just a very, just a recap, you know, like, a, you know how you watch a certain uh, TV show, and, uh, you know, each week it's like, last week, this is what happened, you know, and just kind of make sure everybody's still on the same page. Last week we talked about, we started this whole story, talked about creation, we talked about how God, you know, wanted a relationship, he wanted this intimate love relationship, and so he created man, but, but he created the whole world, he created everything. Genesis 1 says God created, you know, God created everything, and so last week we talked talked about that and maybe you hadn't heard that before but when we look at how God created things he created it in pairs or the fulfillment of and it's been said that the Jews or Hebrews often think that way and so when you look at it it kind of gives it it gives it meaning it gives it like hey that makes sense so in uh, on day one God created you remember light and dark uh, the fulfillment of light and dark will be found in day four where he created Sun, moon, and stars makes sense doesn't it he created light dark sun, moon, stars fulfillment day two he created Sky and water, day four, or day five, he created what goes in the sky and water? Birds and fish. Day three, he created, he didn't, he skipped that day, right? But commonly, we often commonly think he rested on day seven, but it was actually day three. Day three, he created land. Day six, he created, oh, so this is all new to you guys, right? He created land, he created other uh, things that inhabited land, animals and man and things like that. 
So as we take a look at this, you know, one way of remembering it is the fulfillment, and you can kind of see how things pair up and how they kind of are fulfilled. He creates the Garden of Eden. It's this incredible paradise. He places man inside this, this, uh, this, this garden, this, par- this, this paradise, and he says, this is all yours. Everything that you see in here is yours except for one thing. And God created it so that man would have a choice, that we would have a choice to love him. I don't know about you, but I don't want someone that's just just a mechanic or a robot to love me back. But when that person makes a choice to love me back, there's a lot more meaning to that. And so God created man. He created this opportunity for man to choose whether to love him or not. And he said, here you go. I want you to, this is yours. I want you to, this is all yours. You take everything, enjoy it. It's all made for you. But there's only one thing that I don't want you to be a part of. And so we as humans, we're often good at this. It's like everything isn't good enough. We want that one thing we can't have, right? And so man's kind of drawn to that. We read about in Genesis chapter 3, where man, when I say man, I'm talking about uh, uh, Adam and Eve. Mankind sinned against God. They chose; he chose to uh, pr- to do to step outside of those boundaries. And so, as he did, he sinned. God, it broke the literally broke the relationship. The, however you want to word it, relationship, fellowship with God. God said, "Okay, you can't. You know, you're not part of this any longer." And so he kicks them out of the Garden of Eden. And we read about how man then kind of just spun off and just really went crazy. Later on, we read about a guy by the name of Noah, where God comes. And instead of God obliterating the world and saying, you know what, I'm done with you. If you don't want to be a part of, if you don't want to uh, have a relationship with me and, you know, and you want to do all these things and I'll just obliterate it and just be done with it, okay? But instead of God doing that, it really demonstrates what we just sang about, doesn't it? Instead of running out, instead of giving up, instead of abandoning, instead of saying, you know what, I'm done with you. God says, I'm going to create a plan. I'm going to create a plan to restore. So God floods everything. He preserves Noah and some animals, Noah and a few of his family members. And essentially what we're doing is we're starting this story. So where God created everything and he said it was good, man messed that up, God's literally through the rest of the story going to make things right once again. So the story that we're looking at really picks up essentially today and is continuing on. We're reading about how God is going to make things right. We're reading about how God didn't stop, but he said, I still want to have this love relationship with you. I still want this to happen. And so one of the things that perplexed, has perplexed me and, and just really grabbed a hold of me, and I think it, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about it last week, is, and I believe it's found in Peter, where it says that God's foreknowledge knew that before the foundation of the world was even laid, that it was going to cost him something. How many of us has such an intense love for somebody or someone that before, I mean, if you knew, if you knew that if you did a certain thing that it would cost you one of your children or your only child, how many of you would say, I still love this other person over here enough to go ahead and do it? That's love that's not communicated or demonstrated to us on a daily basis. We're used to conditional love. We're not used to this unconditional love or this love that, just like we sang about, never gives up, never runs out, never fails. But it's a love that continues to pursue us, even when we don't deserve it. And so God says, I'm going to make things right again. I'm going to make it so that this relationship, we can have this relationship again. Guys, the big story right now, everybody tune in, because the big story right now is God is still in the business of reconciling lost souls to himself. God is in the business of looking out and seeing souls that are far away from him, souls that are still enemies of him saying that I want to have a relationship with you. 
Okay? That's the story. God is created. That's the story in which we live in. That's the story that's still being written right now. If it was over, Jesus would have already been here. Jesus would have already judged things. We would be, those of us that placed our faith and trust in God and accepted His free gift of grace and salvation would be enjoying heaven right now. Things would be done as we know it. But the story is, is still being written. The story involves you and I. For us to say, well, I'm okay now, I'm going to heaven so I can sit back and just enjoy things until Jesus returns, is not part of the story. It's part of the story that you're trying to write, but it's part of the story that's not, that's not what God's writing. God's writing a totally different story that says, there are still people that don't know me. There are still people that if they stay in that condition, they will spend eternity separated from me. And God's saying, I want a relationship with them. He chooses to use the church. The church is not the four walls and the ceiling. I get that you've heard that a hundred times, but I'm telling you, we often get so fixated on that. Well, the church is element. I don't like how the church is doing this or doing that. The church is you and I. The church is the body of Christ. And God is wanting to use you. Those of you that have placed your faith and trust in God, God is wanting to use you and me, all of us in here, to continue to write this story. That is very tantamount that you understand that. You are the church. God is using that vehicle to reach the world with a story that says, I love you. He's wanting to use you. So you are very much a part of this story. You and I are very much part of the story that God's still writing. Now, with that, let me share with you. Let's go clear back to the beginning of this story. And, and pick it up where we just came out of the flood. And, uh, go, and God's going to start putting in place the plan of salvation. And so if, you would, if you're there with me in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, uh, it says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors uh, you I will curse, and in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and lot with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran, and Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that he had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moriah. Moriah at, the time, the Canaan, at, the, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham, or Abram, and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar, Abram, so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the east and Ai on the, on the, I'm sorry, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called the name, and called upon the name of the Lord, and Abraham journeyed on still in the Gebel. Okay. So where we're at right here is we're picking up on the story where God's beginning to put things back in order, where God is making things good again. The people and God is making this new nation to reveal himself. God is, 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 is building this nation. He's building this people to get his plan back, you know, kind of to get it back in swing again, okay? So he chooses to build this new nation. Now, here's the interesting part is that when he comes to Abram, he says this to Abram. He says, uh, you know, he chooses Abram. And he says, Abram, this is what I want to do through you. He says, I want to, you know, verses 1 through 3 in chapter 12, he says, I want to make 
uh, I'm going to make uh, this new nation great. This nation that I'm forming, it's going to be one of the greatest nations ever. It's going to be the greatest nation ever. He also says, I'm going to make your name great. Later on, we will see through the sons of Abraham, Jacob, uh, that, that his name is, ter- uh, is switched to um, uh, Israel, which now is the same nation that we have uh, today in the Middle East. And so God says, I'm going to make your name great. God also says, I'm going to bless all who bless Abraham and curse the one who curses Abraham. Some of us believe, some of us believe that even in the political sense, uh, today as we're speaking, that Israel, some of us would say that uh, we need to always be siding with Israel, otherwise we're going to be cursed. That's where that thought comes from, is when God uh, places it out that says, your, your name I will bless, your name I will, uh, you know, I will bless, and those who curse against you I will curse. And then he goes on to say this, God will bless, uh, the other part of this, God will bless all the nations of the world through Abraham and, and this new nation. And essentially when we read that, what we see is foreshadowing. We see that there's the plan of salvation coming, that God is going to provide a way back to himself, and it's going to come through the lineage of Abraham, which we do read about when Jesus comes onto the scene. Now, as we take a look at this, This is a great plan that God's laying out there, isn't it? It's really exciting. It's like God's rebuilding. God's putting the story in place. God's saying, I'm going to make everything right again. Except one little thing. He chooses to use Abram. Now, I'm going to switch to Abraham and Sarah. Their names will switch to that, that, so just bear with me. But God chooses to use Abraham. What was so special about Abraham and Sarah? In fact, if we would take a look at Abraham and Sarah... There was a few things about them that was kind of, that you would look at and you would say, this doesn't make sense. If God's going to do this, why would he choose Abraham and Sarah? One of those things was that we read about, and legends kind of, uh, uh, write to it or articulate about it, is that they believe that Abraham and, uh, Sarah, their family that they came from were, were, uh, very much entrenched in idol worshiping. To the point to where, uh, they believe that some of their family members actually made idols and sold them for a living. And that's how they made their, that's how they, again, just made their living. And so as we look at that, you look at it and you think, okay, they don't even really have a rich heritage. They don't have a family that they're coming from that, that you would look at and you say, well, that makes sense. God would use those individuals because they were brought up and raised in fearing God, fearing something, fearing God, you know? So we don't really see that. That, that seems to be kind of odd. The second thing that almost kind of trumps that is this concept that they're old, okay? Now, I'm not trying to be funny here, but I want to ask you guys, uh, how many of you are 75 years and older? We've got a few of you in here, right? Maybe none. Either, okay, there we've got a couple. I know that's, that's, that's a really hard question to ask, isn't it? 75 years and older. God comes to, comes to Abraham and Sarah, who are really old, and he says, I'm going to build a great nation. Well, number one, Sarah, Sarah can't even have children, right? And, and to the point to where we see that she's, not that she just can't have children, but she is past the opportunity for a woman to bear children. She's literally passed through her menstrual cycles or how, you know, and, and she's unable, literally, physically, incapable or incapable of having children. Those are two huge things. You're like, why would he choose Abraham and Sarah? But then we read something that is really kind of interesting to me is about this couple is that when God lays out this plan and he shares with Abraham and he says, Abraham, this is what I want to do. I want to make your name great. I want to bless the world through your name. I want to make your, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to curse whoever curses you. I will curse. And all, you know, and he lays out this fourfold type plan to Abraham. In verse, 
what is it, verse 4? There's three huge words. It says, so Abram left. In the English standard it says, so Abram went. He left, he went. God says, I want you to, I want you to leave everything behind. I want you to leave your support system. I want you to leave your family. Everything, essentially what he's saying is this. Everything that's familiar to you, everything that you really find your, your sense of stability and security in, all of those things, I want you to leave behind. You'll be able to take some things with you, but for the most part, I want you to leave everything behind, your identity, all of that stuff. And I want you to go to a place that I'm not even really going to tell you where it's at until you get there. And it was really vague, wasn't it? I want you to go to this vague place. In fact, uh, when he does tell him, I'm going to give you all this, I'm going to give this land to you, I'm going to make your name great, I'm going to you know, make your family as numerous as the, as the stars in the sky or the sand. You know, If you can count that, that's how big your family is going to be. This incomprehensible um, concept of how large this, this, this is going to be. Um, when, when God brings him to that place, there were people inhabiting that place. And so they didn't even really, they kind of stopped there for a second. And then as we read on, if you read that story, it says there was a famine, and so he goes to Egypt. So here Abraham is with this big story, this big vision that God has for his life, and he says, I want you to go. And Abraham does something very peculiar. He goes. The reason why I say that's peculiar Because I wonder how many of us would do that. Because it really comes down to one word. And we could throw another one in there, but it comes down to one word called trust. Trust. How many of you... Now, here's here's where I get tangled up, guys. I've said this before. I think we take the Word of God and I think we do an awesome job romanticizing it. We read stories like this and we're like, that is a really cool story. It, it, I mean, it just gets me right here. Abraham, man, that is a cool dude. That is a cool, cool story. But when God wants to come into our life and speak into our life to say, I want to write your story. How many of us sit back and reason? And we say, That doesn't make sense, God. In fact, we get around some of our other cronies and we make quilts and bake pies and work on cars and ride bikes and we say, yeah, my other network tells me the same thing. That just doesn't make sense. And we start listing off all the odds. We start listing off all the impossibilities. We start listing off why it doesn't make sense. What if you went to your friends, some of your friends, and said, let's say you're retired in here today. And you went to some of your retiree friends. You went to your condo unit. What's the, I want to use a Seinfeld example, but I'm afraid it'll be lost. But <laughs> Del Boca Vista. We go to our retirement communities and we say, you know what, I'm selling, my commu- I'm selling my condo and I'm liquidating everything I have, all my retirement, everything, because God's calling me to do something over here. Really? What's He calling you to do? You know what, I don't know just yet. But I do know that God's calling me to do something different. And He said that He will reveal it to me at some point. How many of your friends would laugh at you? How many of you would be one of the friends laughing at someone else? 
Or praising God that He didn't ask you to do that. Like, thank God, I'm glad He asked Him, not me. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, guys, does it? God gave us brains, did He not? God gave us brains so that we can think through these things and reason through these things, right? And so that's what we do. We get together in our little hubs. We get together in our little like-mindedness where we gather people around that think just like us and we walk through it and we say, well, that doesn't make sense. God would never call us to do something like that. Guys, I'm not so sure we look at this. I think this makes absolutely no sense where God comes to Abram and yet Abram looked at all this and he said, you know what? I'm going. Abram left. Abram went. I wonder how many of us sitting in this room, if God would speak into our lives, lean into us, and say, I want you to quit. Not just the 75-year-olds, but the 40-year-olds, the 45, the 50s, where he's asking us to leave our jobs and do something different. Where he's asking us to take a step of faith. Where he's asking us to just trust and obey and take this risk over here, this this risk as how we would define it. I wonder how many of us, when our kids would look at our stories or other people would read about our stories, where they could look and say, you know what? Chad left. Chad went. How many, I mean, do you ever think about that? How many of us could, how many people could say they had the faith? Jim and Lori left. They went. They liquidated everything and they left. Abraham went. He trusted. We could sit down and say, you know what, on paper it doesn't make sense. Guys, I'm with you on this. I've struggled with this. There's times where in my life, and we'll see this. Because, but, but, but here's the point I'm trying to make. When God looked into Abraham to use Abraham and Sarah, I don't think there's anything special. In fact, I think it was completely opposite. You know why? Because when God was going to pull this off, no one could look at it and say, wow, that made sense because they brought a lot to the table. Right? No, there was a lot of odds stacked against this. And I believe that's one of the reasons why God chose them, just like He chooses ordinary people today, just like He uses you and I, just like He asks us to step out in faith, because when other people look at it, they don't see us, they see God. They see God. They see God did something in our lives. They see that God showed up. Because, guys, let's be very honest. If there is the least little inkling where we can take the glory, we take it. And in this situation... The only glory it's gonna the only person that's gonna get the glory is God. Because this is impossible. Think about the Mary. I mean, throughout the Bible, you see the same character showing up where God did something extraordinary in their lives because they trusted, even when it didn't make sense on paper. You know, so Abraham went, and God begins to unfold this story, and God begins to uh, do some miraculous, miraculous things in, in, in Abraham and Sarah's life. But, you know, the, 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 the thing of it is, it's, it's just like you and I, guys. You know, we're, we're, we're ordinary individuals as well. And there's times where we get in the way. There's times where we think, you know what? I need to help God out because I don't think God, you know, I think, you know, again, God gave us a brain. And so I think that's exactly what happened with Sarah and Abraham. Later on, we'll read in chapter 16, 18, and 22, we read about Sarah's struggle with the whole thing. And where Sarah... Sarah proposes her own way to start this new nation. Sarah looks at herself and she says, how in the world is this going to happen? Because think about this for a second. They were old to begin with. When God first approached Abraham and Sarah the very first time, they were old. There was a gap of time between that and when when Sarah actually got pregnant. There was another huge gap. These people were old, old. Okay? 
I mean, the, the odds were, I mean, it just really made things that much more pronounced. And so, and so Sarah looks at it and she says, you know what? This isn't going to happen through me, Abraham. It's just not going to happen. So here's what I want, you know, here's what I think we should do. I think you should take my maidservant, Hagar, and have sex with her and let, let the, let this thing start happening through her. In which Abraham is a typical red-blooded male. What's he do? Okay. Okay, let's do it. And, and what happened was, which is a very sad story, when you go back and read that whole story between Hagar and Ishmael, it's a very sad story because it's not the story that God was writing. And consequently, Hagar and Ishmael became byproducts of something that wasn't part of God's plan. God said, no, this isn't my plan. This isn't the way I designed it. This isn't what I had in mind. This isn't the chosen one. And so what we read and what we believe now is that Ishmael has become the father of, a na- of the... Of, of the, na- of the uh, what, what many of us believe is that Ishmael is the father of the Arabs, whereas Isaac is the father of, of Christianity. And now that whole conflict is taking place even today as we speak. And so we see that, we see that Abraham, we see that, um, you know, as they go through this whole process, that, that, that um, God shows up and he says, you know what, that's not what I had in mind. And even when you think it's still impossible, I'm going to make it happen. This is my plan. This isn't your plan. This is the story that I'm writing. I'm asking you to participate. I'm asking you to simply trust and obey. And so God, and so we read the story where, Sarah becomes pregnant. And that's a really cool story too because as, as some angels, the angel of the Lord, as the, as the Word of God says, visited Abraham, uh, he's unfolding this saying, in another so much time, Sarah's going to become pregnant. Sarah in her tent overhears it and she laughs to herself. How can a woman like me past childbearing years have a child? She gets pregnant. She has a child. And they name the child what? Isaac. What does Isaac mean? Laughter. Guys, there's no way you can convince me that from then on, that every time Sarah looked at Isaac, the plan of God was seared in her mind, thinking this was impossible. This was impossible. Those of you that know my story, you know I kind of come from a little bit of the same same things happen within my life where for 15 years uh, my wife and I tried to get pregnant we could not and, I, and again I've told you this but I've attributed that to God protecting mankind not allowing me to reproduce myself okay but we broke through that but for so long we couldn't become pregnant and I remember, I will never ever forget going through the whole process, what an emotional journey it was. Some of you may be experiencing that in here today right now. And you know exactly, or have, you know exactly what I'm talking about there. But there was such an emotional journey there, such a spiritual journey, but an emotional journey because you had such hope that this was going to happen. You had such, we had such hope that we were going to have a family, that we're, we were able, that we would be able to have a child of our own or have a family of our own. And after 15, after so many years, when that wasn't happening, there came came a point, just like I think the scriptures teach us a little bit later, but there comes a point to where you literally step back and you say, I'm giving up hope. I'm giving up hope. And that's where me and Leslie were. And after a while, you know, for I think for a man, we can, we can kind of 
I don't know what it is, shove our emotions to the side or whatever and say, okay, what's plan B? Let's, you know, if we're going to have a family, we've got to have plan B. And so we started looking at plan B, but I started realizing that plan A still wasn't sacrificed by my wife yet. And as a woman, she was wanting to be a mother, biological mother. And so it took her a while to even continue to let go and to have no hope. And I remember, you know, going through that whole process. And then we started looking into adopting and God blessed us with three wonderful kids, three wonderful children. And then we get pregnant. And I've had people ask me, have you grasped the fact that you have? Don't hear me wrong. I absolutely love uh, all of my children. But when it comes to Jade, not but, but when it comes to Jaden, people will ask us, and he's our youngest, um, our biological, they will say, have you grasped the fact that you have, a bio, you, know, you have a son? And I tell them, nope. I will never ever be able to just look at him and take him for granted. There is no way anyone in this room would convince me that Sarah became like that with Isaac. I think every time they looked at Isaac, maybe they even had a different type of laughter where they said, how in the world? God showed up. God, God said that he was going to do this and God did it. We screwed it up over here a little bit, but God said he was going to do it this way and God was faithful. Have you noted that when you read this whole story, even in the passage we read today, the two different times Abraham met God and Abraham built an altar? Every time, when you look throughout the Old Testament, a lot of times, when, if not all the time, when people met God, they would erect an altar right there to remind them, to remind them, to remind them. To remind their children. When their children ask about that altar, let me tell you what that was about. That's where God met us. That's where God came through. That's when God stepped up. That's when God followed through on a promise. I think that's the way it was with Isaac. Where they looked at Isaac and they said, God followed through. God followed through on his promise. God said that he was going to do it. God did it. Later on, we read about God severely testing Abraham, where, where he's asked to take Isaac, this, this, this one and only, his, one, his true one and only son, to take him to, to, take him to uh, you know, a place and sacrifice him. And so Abraham follows through, or goes through this process, and he passes this test. But when you read that whole test, if you would take time in Genesis chapter 22 to read that whole test... You, pick up on the words and the thought process of Abraham because in some way Abraham got it and he knew that whatever would happen God would come through he knew that if he killed Isaac that somehow God would either replace him raise him from the dead or do whatever but through that whole process it is clear that Abraham had a faith that God was going to show up God had showed up time and time again in his life God had showed up and and promised to do what he said he was going to do why would Abraham question that and Abraham followed through he passed the test and he spared Isaac's life guys Here's the application. When God chooses, when God chose Abraham and Sarah to begin this new nation, God reveals a pattern throughout Scripture. God chooses the most unlikely people that may not be the smartest, they may not be the most beautiful, they may not be the most handsome, but they may not have the best resumes, but God uses ordinary people that's going to allow Him to continue to write His story. God is is asking to use every single one of us in this room today. I'm not saying you're not good looking or handsome or whatever. But God is choosing to use every single one of us here in here today to continue to write this story. As I shared with you earlier, we are the church. 
We're not just element. We are, we are Christ's bride. We are, he died for us. We are the vehicle in which Jesus wants to use to reach the world with this awesome message that says, God loves you. That God wants a relationship with you. That regardless of what horrific chapters you have in your story, God is pursuing you and wants to rewrite it. That comes with great hope. Doesn't that bring encouragement? But God is, but God is wanting to use, that's what, that's what we are here for. God is wanting to use the church to make that happen. The question is this. Will you go? Will you go? When it looks impossible, will you go? When God says, I want you to trust me, will you trust? Will you go? Not when it makes sense to you. Not when everything lines up for you. Not when all your horoscope stuff lines up. But when God says, I want to use you. I want to write some, I want to write some more chapters in this. Will you be a person that says, I'm leaving. I'm going. Whatever he says that I'm to do, I will trust. Whether I have all the answers or not, I will obey. Jesus says, those who love me will obey my commandments. You want to show God love? Trust and obey. We ought to have a song about that, right? I want to close with a word of prayer and then we're going to sing a couple songs before we finish out our time here. But, you know, I hope, I, I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's, you know, in your story. I don't know what chapter you're working on. I don't know if you're really struggling. I don't know if there are things that's happening within your life, either physically or emotionally or spiritually. I, I don't know that. But the hope that I do have is placed in my trust with Jesus Christ and know that His Spirit is here today wanting to connect with you on an individual basis. Wanting to meet you wherever you're at. You may be sitting in here this morning and your story is kind of taking a different turn uh, a, a few years ago. And I think Melissa already kind of talked about this too, you know, where, where things, you've placed your faith and trust in God, man, you're along for the ride. We want to, it, it, that's a celebration. But, but there's a lot of stories being written right now. There's a lot of stories where God's got the upper story and we've got the lower story and God's wanting to intersect. There's a lot of us sitting here this morning. They're not all the same. But I do know that the Spirit wants to connect with you specifically, individually today to contribute to that story. Will you bow your heads and your hearts with me as I lead us into a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this incredible love that you so lavishly, as Paul wrote, so lavishly want to shower us with the blessings, this love that you have for us. God, it's so hard for us to comprehend this, this love that pursues us that's, that's unconditional. And God, I pray that we would receive it. I pray that we would open our arms and we would just receive what you want to give us. And God, for those in here that are hurting, I pray that they would connect with you. I pray that they would open their hearts and their minds and become vulnerable to your spirit. God, for those in here that have been walking with you and, and have seen you show up time and time again, I pray that you would continue to write their story, God. 
reaching others through them, allowing you, allowing you to do what you want to do in and through them. And God, that they would continue to go, that they would continue to step out and trust. God, we love you, and we just want to. We, we, we just thank you so much that we could spend time here worshiping you today. I pray that as we close our time here together, you would just use this time to just um, speak to us. Speak into our hearts. And let us know where you want us to go as you continue to write your story within our lives. And I just pray and ask all of these in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.